Last episode, we talked about the South African teams in the 1992 World Cup. This episode, I want to talk about the best two sides from that tournament. While Pakistan won, during the round-robin stages, it was unquestionable that New Zealand were the best side. And because they didn't win the event, some of their best work has actually been forgotten. But let's start at the top. Their captain, Martin Crowe, used Deepak Patel as their opening bowler. And the reason that blew minds was simply because he was an off-spinner. A big hit, it's in the air, he's going to be caught. He is caught. Magnificent catch, Cairns has just run around the square leg boundary. That was him dismissing Alan Border. But his real worth wasn't in the wickets. It was in the fact that openers had no idea how to start against spin. It was almost a cheat code in some games. Jeff Marsh, who'd been part of the reason that Australia had won the previous event, managed to score 19 runs from 56 balls in their opening game. That Patel managed this while Chris Cairns was getting smashed at the other end just showed how great his method was. Australia were chasing 249 because Martin Crowe had played an incredible innings for them. And Crowe's got the chance to get his 100. Minute marvellous cricket, 4-4-3. So Martin Crowe to face on 99, two balls to go in the innings. He's chopped it down, they're running through. Cairns has made it. Despite the fact the Kiwis still had a ball to face, the crowd actually rushed onto the ground to congratulate Crowe on this beautiful innings. But his captaincy and use of Patel was just as important. Australia fell behind as Patel's 10 overs went for a tidy 36 runs, meaning Australia needed to score at almost five and a half runs and over from New Zealand's medium pace militia. And they never even got close. It's all over. New Zealand have won. They've beaten Australia. The first game of the 1992 World Cup has gone to New Zealand. The big blood. They've got Australia. And what a start. Welcome to Double Century, the podcast about the history of cricket. This season, we are celebrating the World Cup. We have an episode on all the older tournaments. And for this one, we are doing the second part of 1992, how New Zealand tried new things and what happened when the Tigers got cornered. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Opening with a spinner and beating the defending champs and co-hosts was not enough for New Zealand team. They decided to mix their batting up by promoting a middle-order player to open so he could whack the ball around. South Africa made 190 against them. Deepak Patel again strangled their top orders. Kepler Vessels made 3 from 18 
And Andrew Hudson, one from 16. Patel would end with one for 28, and only the criminally underrated Peter Kirsten stood up with a 90 for South Africa. But for the chase, Martin Crowe promoted Mark Greatbatch. Well, it was a slight miscue, this shot, but it's going to go for four. Say, he's that's about a, a pitching wedge to the mid-wicket boundary. But once again, the attitude of Great Batch is a very positive one. Okay. Oh, look, that's, that be that's six. amazing. It is six. That's amazing. Great Batch played with incredible freedom and destroyed Brian McMillan. He would end up making 68 from 60 balls. And in many ways, his batting in that tournament led to Sri Lanka and then everyone else finding middle order players to go up the top and swing away. Nothing New Zealand did in that tournament could go wrong. They smashed their way through the competition, finishing with seven wins, two more than second place. That meant that they played Pakistan in the semifinals, where they sent out Great Batch again. It's over the top. That's the first boundary. That's a six. Top edge cutting away was a Macron. Mark Greatbatch has had a wonderful tournament. Yes, that was Mark Greatbatch cutting Wasim Akram for six. Their gamble worked. They got off to a great start, but it was when Crow got out there that Pakistan lost all control. Pakistan under a lot of pressure. That's gone. Into the stand. Well, hits the uh, advertising hoardings on the full. Empire Shepherd is in no doubt. Michael Crow is going through uh, a real dilemma. That's in the stands. Crow just played one of the great innings of his life. And if you haven't seen the great man bat, you need to know that he always looked like he was on another level to everyone else. I remember talking to a professional cricketer who bowled to him when he was in his 50s. And they were still talking about how much better he was than anyone else. But Crow was on 81 and he was taking a single and he felt a twinge in his hamstring. Imran Khan allowed for him to have a runner, which was a good cause it turned out because Great Batch came out to run for Crow and then ran him out for 91 from 83 balls. But New Zealand still made 262 and that was more than enough to defend. With this injury, Crow had a decision to make. He could come out and field, perhaps injuring it worse or even allowing Pakistan some easy runs. So instead he decided to rest and let John Wright captain. For this match, Crow actually had something else completely different in mind. His plan was to make 17 pre-planned bowling changes. This man was truly so far ahead of the game. He was thinking about T20 cricket before there was T20 cricket. In fact, he did actually try and invent a form of cricket, Cricket Max, that was essentially T20 cricket well before England. But that is an episode for another day. John Wright was a very smart cricketer who would obviously go on to be a very successful coach as well. But he didn't like that plan. He wanted to bowl the team normally. He started with Patel, who took Amir Sohail, but then he didn't bowl him through. Instead, he tried Danny Morrison and Willie Watson to try and break through with the new ball. To ensure that that didn't happen, Imran Khan brought himself out as a pinch blocker, and he made 44 from 93 balls, but completely slowed down what New Zealand were trying to do. Wright kept using his frontline bowlers, whereas Crow's plan was to use six bowlers on a constant rotation. Wright took forever to even bring on Chris Harris as his fifth bowler. And when he did, Pakistan attacked him. But that also brought about a couple of wickets. This meant that Pakistan were needing 123 from the final 15 overs with six wickets in hand. They did have at the crease the great Javed Minda, and he was joined by a very young, 
an utterly lost-looking Inzamam al-Haq. Had Wright not bowled so many of his frontliners earlier, he could have brought one on. But he didn't really have that option. Crow went out at the drinks break and told him to bowl Harris and Jones in tandem just to try and get through the four overs as quickly as possible. But Wright didn't do that either. And so me and Dad did what he was the absolute best in the game at doing, and he knocked the ball into gaps. But it was Inzi who took over. He's got that one away too, exactly the same place. The helmets are on. This is do or die for New Zealand. Is it ever? It's four. Wide delivery off the bottom edge. It's gone flying away down towards third man. And Martin Crowe, the New Zealand captain, batted beautifully today for his 91. Must be very worried at the moment. Oh, he's hit that one in the air and into the gap. It won't get to the boundary, will it? Yes, it will. It runs in. Ends a mom, I'll huck. You little beauty. I'll tell you what, it's been here. There's no way you can get him out there. Oh, and that's got him. He's got him. He's got him. Inzamam would eventually be run out by Javed that just trying to get him on strike. By then, Inzamam Al-Haq had made 60 from 37 balls. That is a good innings in a T20 match today. Imagine it in the days where 250 scores were seen as incredible. Inzi was timing the ball like he knew which parts of the ground were downhill. He wasn't slogging. He was simply putting everything to the rope with grace and timing. Before he came to the wicket, they were scoring at 3.6 runs and over. His strike rate was 162. And Pakistan would go on to win that game. And if ever Pakistan needed six runs, this was the moment for it. He's pulled it. Man out there at square leg. He's defending. It's going fine. It could go all the way. He's coming around quickly. We die. That's four runs. And Pakistan have won the first semi-final in Eden Park. A magnificent performance by Jarvid Mandan. Inzaman Al-Haq. And look at that, look at Jarvid. What a performance for the veteran. A magnificent win when you're chasing 262. You have to do all the hard work. Well, the entire Pakistan team has raced onto the field, and no wonder. You often don't get scenes like this for semi-finals. Pakistan could simply not believe they were going through to the final match. But there is a good reason for this. They had been absolutely terrible at the start of this World Cup. The first match of the tournament, they played the West Indies. Ramiz Rajo made 102. Pakistan made 220 for two. Only Javed Meendad actually scored at a decent rate, and he was the standing captain for that match. Then the West Indies chased that down without losing a wicket. Desmond Haynes opened with Brian Lara. Haynes made 93 not out. Lara made 88 not out before retiring hurt. This was a big loss for Pakistan. But they did beat Zimbabwe in the next match, and now they had to play England. I think we'll see here this morning uh, Michael some movement uh, with his wicket with the covers that have been on the on the wicket uh, since Friday. The wicket would have uh, would have sweated, so uh, we could see some movement off the wicket this morning. Rummy's Roger. Oh my goodness me! Very reminiscent of Headingley where Graham Gooch flipped it up off his boot. The ball first delivery from Philip the seems away. He's knocked up, I think, by uh, Ian Botham at, uh, at second slip, and Alex Stewart reacted tremendously quickly to pick it up off the rebound. I would love to play you the Pakistan batting highlights from this game, but there weren't any. England bowled them out for 74 on that sweaty Adelaide Oval surface. And, of course, England should have won easy, but the rain came in. 
meaning that England needed 40 from eight overs, and they actually were stuttering on 24 for one from the eight that they had already faced. But it was still pretty likely that England would have gone on to win that game. That's not what happened, though. The rain came, and it was a draw. India was up next. Sachin Tendulkar made a brisk half-century, and Kapildev hit out for a 35 to drag India to 216. Pakistan tried Inzamam as an opener. They actually messed around with their batting quite a lot. And they also donated a couple of wickets along the line. They couldn't handle the Indian seamers or even Sachin's part-time spin, and they ended up all out for 173. So Pakistan lost that game pretty easily. South Africa played them next at the Gabba. Hansi Kronje hit a fast 47 to get them to 211 total. Pakistan were batting pretty slow to start with, and after 22 overs, their runs per over was 3.36. That's when the rain took out 14 overs from this match, and they now needed 119 from 14 overs. Those rain regulations of Richie Berno were just absolutely absurd. But Pakistan actually scored really well when the rain stopped, until this happened. Umpire not interested. Intamam could be run out. And Jonty Rhodes has demolished the stumps. And umpire Bucknor has given him out. The flying leap with Pike. Well, it was going to require some brilliant fielding or some brilliant work in the field. And a better man you could not find than Jonty Rhodes. Intamam was hit on the pads. He was looking for the single and lumbered down the wicket. Imran was never interested. Jonty Rhodes knew there was a chance, decided not to throw other than himself, he gets there first and wipes everything out. And yes, I know I also played that in part one, but Jonty Rhodes deserves it. Pakistan crumbled after this with the chase just getting too high. That means after five games of an eight-match schedule, Pakistan had one win, one draw, and three losses. They should obviously have been out of the tournament by this point. And now they had to go to the Wacker to face Australia about the last place an Asian team wants to face Australia. This was a knockout match that was essentially in the middle of the round robin. Because whoever lost this game certainly wasn't going to make the finals. And to be honest, it kind of felt like neither of them were going to anyway. And this is when Imran Khan used that cheap polyester t-shirt and his new slogan to fire up his team. Okay. Heads. I will bash. Okay. Good luck. Good luck. All the best. Imran, I thought you were the line of law. What's this? Well, uh, this is what I've been telling Alan, that I want my team to play today like a cornered tiger, you know, when it's at its most dangerous. (laughs) If it worked, it was kind of hard to say. Pakistan made 220 for nine as they again batted very slow. This time it didn't matter as the cornered bowling tigers did their job. Akib Java dominated with a new ball. Little pixie wonder kid Mushtaq Armour's leg spin was all over the Aussies. And then Wazim Akram finished them. Their next match was against Sri Lanka, and they had a very nervy chase six wickets down that finished with five balls to spare. But the really amazing victory was against New Zealand, who they dismissed for 166 when Wazim Akram was absolutely incredible. By this point in the tournament, he might have already bowled around 50 wides, but when he got it to work, nothing could stop him. The only player in the top eight to make double figures against him was Mark Greatbatch, who made 42. Ramiz Raja, though, would make 119 not out in Pakistan's 167 for three. And of course, a few days later in that semi-final, Pakistan would beat New Zealand again. It seems like Pakistan did not match up against any teams well in this tournament other than New Zealand. So let us unpack some of this. Pakistan beat Zimbabwe and Sri Lanka, the two weakest teams in the World Cup. They also beat Australia, who were terrible in this tournament. And yet Pakistan were also the only team to beat New Zealand, and they did it twice. 
That form map is all over the place. And remember that the only reason Pakistan was actually in this final is because England's chase was washed out. The entire thing was crazy. Pakistan were now playing England at the MCG. They won the toss, they batted first, this was the final, and Imran Khan promoted himself as pinch blocker again. He made 72 runs this time. Javed Dad made a 50, but then against Richard Illingworth tried this shot. And Javed has gone to the reverse sweep. A shot which he has made almost his own. A reverse sweep from a set veteran in a World Cup final. This had to be a sign for England, right? Mike Ganning had lost them one. Maybe Javed Dad would do the same for Pakistan. But the boys in green still got a decent total because of Inzaman Al-Haq, who smashed 42 from 35, and then some incredible hitting from Wazim Akram late, who made 33 from 18. That's beautifully struck for four. That's a magnificent shot. Well, Inzaman will have... And now delicate once more, just past the diving, short for four more. And once more for the Pakistanis. Pakistan set England 250 to win on the massive MCG surface. And England fell to 69 for four at the end of the 21st over. But they fought back. Neil Fairbrother played a beautiful innings and England's 1987 hero, Alan Lamb, was back again. It's a beautiful strike. Way over cover. Alan Lamb's been searching for that shot. He was trying to get uh, around. They got the chase to seven and over. Still tough, but there are a lot of twos on this ground that was helping them out and two very set batters. Then Wazim Akram came around the wicket, under lights, and bowled very fast to Alan Lamb. Did you hear that? Let's just play it again. That is the exact noise that sent the England limited overs cricket team into their nuclear winter. Up until then, this was a team that had played in three World Cup finals, and even dumb luck would say that they should have got one title from it. But they didn't have any luck. What they had was a 90 mile an hour missile coming around the wicket with reverse swing. What a great delivery. Left arm around the wicket. Alan Lamb has been cleaned up. Perhaps so to England. Richie there with perhaps the greatest understatement of all of his greatest understatements. Next ball, Chris Lewis came out. Under, of course, who later in life would struggle and even do time in jail. But he was very talented. Fair brother is still there. Subtract Lewis from that list. Wazim Akram is on a hat trick. Played on. Again, left arm around the wicket. And that was it. England were gone. The Corner Tigers would win the World Cup. Cricket would have its fourth world champion in five events. And kids for decades would wear the Pakistan Green 1992 World Cup shirt all around the world. That team was sex on wheels. Rain affected, losing to the West Indies by 10 wickets. Martin Crowe's hamstring assisted sex on wheels. Pakistan had been a nation who had been building their cricket all the way through the 80s. And in 1992, they were finally on top of the world. That's up in the air, he's getting under it. This could be victory, it is. Pakistan win the World Cup. A magnificent performance in front of 
27,000 people, Imran Khan has led his side to victory. What a great victory. Well, the Pakistani players in prayer on the ground to give thanks for their victory. They've certainly been the side of the night. Their momentum in this tournament has grown and grown and grown and they've timed their best form absolutely perfectly. It's been a team effort. The entire squad, the physio, the doctors, they're all out on the field now. And they're loving every moment of this. Imran Khan, his fifth World Cup, his fifth attempt to win the trophy. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version that you can get via Patreon. And there are many other extras involved with being a member over there. In fact, this show would not exist if Patreon members had not helped us at the beginning and continue to support us. Cricket history does not pay. So any help you can give will be massive. And you'll find a link in the show notes to subscribe. Remember to please review, follow, tell your friends and family, and just people that you meet in parties about our show. All of that helps us grow. Double Century episodes are written by either Abhishek Mukherjee or myself, sometimes both of us. And I am Jared Kimber, and this is part of my podcast network. The podcasts are overseen by Nick McCorriston, who also edits and produces Double Century. And C.S. Chawanza is our man for social media clips. If you like the Double Century podcast, on top of subscribing and supporting us, there's actually way more content like this on the Jared Kimber YouTube page. 